Father God, we've gathered here and we haven't gathered just to fill in some time or uh, to just find some fun. We've gathered because we believe that where your people gather in your name, you come and speak to them. And so, Father, we want to hear you speak to us today. We want a message that we know is from you. So I ask you to help me as I speak and help us as we listen so that your word may come clearly and truly to us. May my word be shaped by your word written here and may our hearing be shaped by the truth as it is in Jesus Christ. Amen. Yesterday we had some people over lunch. We were talking about how Christmas uh, figures in our community these days and how it's becoming more and more distant from the events of the incarnation of God's Son at Bethlehem all those years ago. Some friends are driven to us from the city. We live in Strathalbyn. And uh, between Clarendon and Kangarilla, or Clarendon and Meadows really, uh, all the people along the roads there have decided over the last few years to put up Santas, all kinds of Santas. Santas doing all kinds of weird and wacky things. There's hundreds of Santas on the road from Clarendon to Meadows and all the back roads as well. And uh, people who came yesterday said after a little while they were just getting depressed by it all because it was just Santa. It was as though that was all Christmas was about, was Santa. Last year, I know that one family had put out at the front of their place a Santa holding a sign saying, Jesus is the reason for the season, but that was as good as it got. And, this, and he hasn't reappeared this year yet. So, uh, so, um, uh, but it is, uh, the, events of, the events of the first Christmas are being pushed more and more to the sidelines in our community. It's getting harder and harder to find Jesus at the centre of Christmas. Uh, just recently, and it arrived this week, I ordered a, a book uh, that contains a short story by Evelyn Waugh, who was an English novelist in the er early part of the 20th century. And uh, he wrote a, a short story called Love Among the Ruins. And it's a kind of a, a dystopian future of England uh, where uh, it's about a young man who works in the, the Ministry of Euthanasia. And... So Evelyn Moore is writing really at a time when Christianity was quite a dominant force still in the life in England, but he could see it coming to an end. And he writes there about um, how Christmas is actually no longer called Christmas, it's called Santa Claus Tide. Santa Claus Tide. And the nativity play would, if it's mentioned at all, uh, be simply some ancient obscure folk play which past generations had performed, and it's put on TV just as a kind of a, a quaint historical oddity, uh, revived as a matter of historical interest and revised in order that no offence be given to those, by those strange thoughts that have once gripped you know, pre-modern minds. Well, I reckon we're pretty close to that now. There's a lot of treacly sentimentality that's come into Christmas now too. If you think about the original Christmas, there's actually very little that's sentimental about it. It's pretty rough and raw. Uh, people who are being moved about by Roman overlords, 
to count the numbers properly so that they're not, not really a threat. Uh, a child born uh, in the most difficult of circumstances, um, a family unable really to go home for a couple of years. It's kind of a bit like refugees in their own country, displaced people. Nothing very sentimental about it at all. But what we get today is more like a fairy tale than a real history. A sweet story, lovely for children, that we can get a little misty-eyed over ourselves, rather than a message that threatens the way things are. And the thing with that first Christmas was that it was an event that threatened the way things are. All that's required of us with the way we celebrate Christmas these days is a little bit of goosebumpiness, you know, and, uh, and a sweet dollop of niceness. And then when it's all done, we can pack away the trees and the baubles and the nativity scene and get on with life again just as it has always been. By making Christmas sentimental, we're really trying to set aside the great claim of Christmas over us because what happened at Christmas really does have a claim on us. When what God did in sending his son was more than uh, a show for us to have a nice emotional feeling about. When we hear the news of Christmas, the real Christmas, we can't simply go back to life the way it was and always has been. Christmas is an upsetting time in, the, in that many things get upset, overturned, cast down. It's a time when God marches into the middle of history to strong arm a radical and irreversible change. Everything changes with Christmas. God will not let things stand as they are. I'm so glad I've got a God like that who looks at this world and says, it cannot go on this way. He will have his world his way and because that's what God begins to do at Christmas, that really puts us in a crisis. Are we for him or are we against him? And who's going to win in the struggle? <laughs> I reckon that's what Mary understood when she burst into that extraordinary song that she sang. Uh, she'd just been to visit her, sister, uh, her cousin Elizabeth, who was also expecting a child at an <laughs> unexpected age. Elizabeth was quite elderly and she was going to have a son called John who was going to end up being the forerunner for Jesus. And she'd gone to visit this kinswoman of hers and when she'd arrived, the baby in Elizabeth's womb leapt as the baby in Mary's womb entered the room. <laughs> and, uh, and, so, and Elizabeth spoke out of that experience and then Mary in response sang that song we heard, this Magnificat. And what she was saying was that through this birth that was coming to her, God was going to turn the world upside down. Listen to what she says. Uh, he has shown, shown strength with his arm. He's scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones and lifted up those of humble estate. He's filled the hungry with good things and the rich he sent away empty. I mean, that's an upturning of everything, isn't it? 
those that were on the bottom are now on the top, those that are on the top are now on the bottom. Like it's, it's the world gone topsy-turvy. The proud, the mighty, the rich, the self-satisfied are all going to lose their influence and those who've been at the bottom of the pile, the hungry, the humble, are going to be lifted up and filled. And so she rejoices in God her Saviour. That's how she begins. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. So here's what a Saviour does. He upsets things. He doesn't let things go on as they have been. You could say a Saviour is a disruptor. We kind of live in an age of disruption, don't we? But the more disruption we have, the more things stay the same. Have you noticed that? There's kind of disruption everywhere, but things are staying the same. But this disruption changes everything. This is what a saviour does. The saviour of the world comes into a world not to really turn everything topsy-turvy. He comes into a world in which things are topsy-turvy and he's going to turn it all up the right way again. What's the most topsy-turvy thing about our world? I mean, there's lots that is out of whack and upside down in our world, but this is the most important one of all, is that we've said to God, you do what we say. That's the most topsy-turvy thing of it all, rather than us saying to God, Lord, let us do what you say. And so Jesus has come to turn things up the right way. He's come into a world where things that are wrong are treated as right and where things that are right are treated as wrong. He's come into a world where things are not the way they should be and he's come to set all things right again. Now, not right the way we think they should be, He's come to set things right according to God's way. Um, this is what Mary says. He's helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his offspring forever. In other words, God has spoken throughout history to his people and said, this is the way things are meant to be. And now he's coming to turn things upside down to get them back to the way they're meant to be. That's what he's doing, the way God wants things to be. When God saves, it means that he, God, acts to set things in order around his own righteousness. We heard that in Psalm 98, that amazing psalm. Did you know that Psalm 98 is the psalm that Isaac Watts based his hymn, Joy to the World, on? It's really interesting to read Joy to the World and then put it alongside uh, Psalm 98, and you see, oh yeah, he didn't make up a single idea, Isaac Watts. <laughs> he got it all out of the Bible. <laughs> I love that, when you suddenly realise that things that you thought were really cool are actually really, really cool because they're straight out of the Word of God. That's joy to the world. But this is what he says in that psalm. He says... about the Lord who's coming to save, he's making known his salvation, he's revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. In other words, when God's salvation comes, what God does is he 
sets forth the right as he is right. He sets, he sets the world right according to the way God is right. He reveals his righteousness. He judges the world, he says at the end of this psalm, he judges the world with righteousness and the peoples with justice or equity. So that's what's happening at Christmas, is that God is coming to be saviour. My spirit rejoices in God my saviour and he comes to set everything up the right way. The birth of Jesus is the beginning of the saving work of God to reorder the world. Which is to say that the birth of Jesus is to begin the work in which there will be a world in which the Lord will be king and humanity will say, Lord, we want to do what you think is right. That's going to require an enormous amount of work, isn't it? I think about my own life. I mean, to, to turn me upside down and up the right way takes an awful lot for me not to do just what I want to do, but to do what God wants to do. That's a lot to do. And Jesus is going to set the whole world right. He's going to need all the power of God working in him. And it means he's going to have to destroy powers that want things another way. He's going to have to destroy the powers of evil and sin and death. And he's going to have to renew the world in goodness and justice and love and life. Isaac Watts captures the urgency of Christmas for us when he gets to singing, Joy to the world, the Saviour reigns. Being a saviour and reigning go together. I really like that book. That's exactly what that book is saying. Being the saviour means you reign and being the Lord means you save. To be a saviour means you reign. To be a reigner means you save. <laughs> Saving, being a saviour means taking charge, taking responsibility and sorting things out. And that's what this babe in a manger is born to do. To take charge, to take responsibility for the world and to sort it out. Turn it up the right way. God's love for the world is not simply his sympathy for the world. It's not simply sympathy for a broken world. Sympathy is lovely, but sympathy that doesn't have responsibility and an ability to change things, it doesn't go very far, does it? God's love, God's grace, is God acting from the reserves of his own being to rid the world of sin and death and evil and to re-establish it in righteousness. And that's what the coming of the Son of God in human flesh is for. Listen to what the Bible says are the real reasons for the season. I don't think it's quite adequate to say Jesus is the reason for the season. Jesus does something. Listen to these things. So listen to the so that or for kind of clauses in these sentences. This is from 1 John chapter 4, verse 14. We have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son in order to be the saviour of the world. And then in 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, he said, the reason the Son of God appeared was 
to destroy the works of the devil. And in 1 John 4.10, in this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son in order to be the atoning sacrifice that takes away sin. And in Galatians 4, verses 4 and 5, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as children. And then in Hebrews 2, verses 14 and 15, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, so that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Uh, slavery. That's a lot, isn't it? All of those so that's. He's come so that the works of the devil would be destroyed. And not just that, but even the one who has the power of death, the devil himself would be destroyed so that uh, he could be the one who takes away the sins of the world so that he could redeem those who were under the condemnation of the law so that we could receive adoption as God's children so that we could be delivered from our lifelong slavery to the fear of death into the liberty of being the children of God. That's a lot of so that, isn't it? That's the reason for the season. So we're actually celebrating that God has sent his son into the world to turn everything upside down. Can you imagine a world where death doesn't have power? We, we just live with that reality all of our lives, don't we? we just, there's this gate at the end of life. We just accept that. And Jesus has come to abolish death. We just live with the fact that we'll do wrong and others will do us wrong. And Jesus has come to abolish sin. And we live with the fact that dreadful things happen in the world. And it makes us sad, but, oh, well, that's the world we live in. As the movie The Irishman says, it is what it is. And Jesus has come to abolish evil. He's come to turn everything upside down. That's going to require an awful lot of him. In Jesus, the Son of God, sent into the world, God is going to tackle and has tackled, because we're not speaking about something in the future, we're speaking about an event in the past. In Jesus, God has tackled the powers of evil and of guilt and of death and of sin and liberated the world from, the, from slavery to those powers and renewed us as people who will know God as Father, just as Jesus, the Son of God, knows him as Father. God doesn't wait for us to save the world. You wouldn't think that today. Like We are the saviours of the world, aren't we? One way or another, whichever side of politics you're on, you're the saviour of the world and the others aren't. But no, if God, if God was waiting for us to save the world, he'd just be leaving it for us to make a worse mess of things. If we're the problem, we can't fix it. And we are the problem. We're among the records. 
But he acts. He doesn't wait for us to say build. He acts. He takes responsibility. He comes in with his strong arm. And he sends his son, Jesus, and Jesus comes to save him. That's going to mean an enormous amount for Jesus. It's going to mean a life of sacrifice, even to death, to death on a cross. But in the most deep mystery of life, that death of Jesus and his resurrection that followed it is going to be the very thing that destroys the power of evil, sin, guilt and death. He died for the world. He actually goes to the place of the judgment of the world and all its evil and he bears it in his own body. That body that begins in the womb of Mary and is brought to birth and laid in a manger and that grows through childhood and into adulthood and that walks through the streets of Palestine, that body finally bears all of evil in itself and all of judgment in itself and brings actually the whole of evil and sin and death to an end. One of the, it's the deepest mystery of our lives in this world. When he rose again, a judgment was pronounced over the world that the old had passed away and the new had come. Death no longer reigns. Sin no longer reigns. Evil no longer reigns. The Lord reigns. The wrong ways world has been set back on its feet. It's been granted a new future that doesn't end in a grave, but goes on by grace into an endless future of goodness and rightness and light and love. The way into this new world, into this new future, is Jesus. And the way you and I can enter this new world is through faith in him, through faith in the Lord Jesus, the Saviour Lord. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, says the Bible, and you will be saved. You'll be set right on your feet. Your life will be turned upside down, the right way up. Today, you could speak with him. I believe he's been speaking through this message. And you could acknowledge that everything that's uh, been around the wrong way for you, uh, you could acknowledge that. And you could acknowledge to him that, Jesus, you're the Son of God who's come into the world as Saviour. And you could find as you do this that Jesus will assure you that your life is a forgiven life. You will know then that your life is not your own, that you've been bought at a great cost. The most precious cost of all, the dying and rising of the Son of God. And when you know that, you know what? You won't want to live for yourself anymore. You'll want to live for him who loved you and gave himself for you. You'll be really on your feet again. Your life will begin again. Your Saviour will have come to you. Amen.